Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion Weekly Podcast slash video. Um, if you're watching this, great, but you can also download it to listen to on Google, Apple, and Spotify. So I didn't think we had a whole lot happening this week, and then I thought about it. We had a whole lot happening this week, but I want to start with the uh, the two columns that ha- that came from Bob and I midweek. And by the way, I'm Jenny Graham. Bob said. Yeah, we just assume you know us by now. But the uh, but the midweek columns came from uh, Bob mentioned it last week a little bit, and then I kind of just was inspired to write something this week. So, but Bob, you wrote about finding uh, an enjoyment in mountain biking at Turkey Mountain again. And so what feedback did you get? Did you have any other thoughts after you wrote it? Yeah, the feedback I got was mostly people are pretty excited about the prospect of being able to go out there and have a chance to ride the trails out of Turkey Mountain. Uh, If there's anybody who's ridden those trails anybody who knows what it's been like over the years um, they're not easy they're not very beginner friendly and I'd even say that the easier trails can get pretty tough so what they have done River Parks Authority and Progressive Trail Design has done is they have we're going to keep there's going to be about 50 miles of trails that are going to be as technical and difficult as they ever were but there's going to be a bunch of other loops and trails that are much more beginner friendly. And they were a lot of fun. And a lot of people were very excited about that. But every now and then you get the boo birds. We liked it the way it was. Why can't they just let it be? And it's like, well, you know, half those trails are eroding into the side of the, the mountain right now. So, you know, you can't please everybody, but Cool piece of news on that is they've finished phase one and they're going to start phase two, which for mountain bikers is going to be really exciting. And uh, hopefully there'll be more news on that. So they're making a lot of progress out there. Well, cool. Um, And my midweek column was something I'd been pondering ever since I watched the Supreme Court uh, questioning, which is define a woman. And it's, it's been mocked and people get mad, but in Kentonji Brown Jackson said she couldn't answer it, that she's not a biologist. And it was clearly a, a leading question. It was a question that tried to strike at LGBTQ rights and trans people. But when I started thinking about what is a woman, I couldn't define it either because I know women who have had hysterectomies, mastectomies, that have had cancer, that have completely deformed all their reproductive organs, and, and they're still women. And so I just sort of put out there, you know, what is it? I mean, I've never had, I've always identified as a woman and as a girl, and I don't know why. So um, so I sort of spoke about that a little bit. And, and the response was, uh, I got a lot of positive people because it, it was meant to be a more deeper thinking sort of question. A lot of the women who I heard from, almost all the women I heard from were, they liked it, they thought about it, they agreed with it. Um, the angriest responses came from men, which I found interesting that they, it's about reproductive, you know, sex organs, hormone, whatever. And uh, I found that an interesting sort of uh, reaction. And I was joking with someone that I might just not be hearing from the angry women. They may be angry at me too, but, but I just sort of, you know, was thinking about that a little bit and it was kind of interesting, but 
Mathia, the uh, Kentonji Brown Jackson did make history. She was confirmed. I, I, it was, I love those moments. It's just, the court is looking more like America in diversity. I, and, and with her, she even has experience with being a defense attorney, which we rarely get on the bench to sort of understand that side of things. And uh, I, I wish we had more diversity in education. They all seem to come from Harvard or Yale. Be nice to have one, someone from, you know, a state law school somewhere. But, but you know, it was party lines and it was disappointing because even our own senators voted against her. And when, and that's become, this theater has been d- disappointing because even with Amy Coney Barrett, she was clearly qualified. And so to me, I wish we could somehow get back to, are they, unless there's something glaringly wrong, you know, which usually that comes up with the vetting, the, the bar association sort of, you know, has comment, but, uh, you know, a lot of the questioning was this revenge of what happened before that has nothing to do with the job. But, but anyway, I was glad to see that happen. Was there anything in, out there that kind of caught your attention, Bob, about that appointment? Well, I got to tell you, to, to be nominated and confirmed, um, what a grueling process. I mean, these are judges are, especially when they get to the federal level, judges are people that largely operate you know, behind the scenes, you don't hear much about these folks, even at the Circuit Court of Appeals. But when they get up there, uh, particularly with the political climate it is now, opportunists just throw down. And it was just wild to see just how taxing that was for Justice Brown. And I think I did I get that right? No. Justice Brown Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> Brown Jackson. Justice Brown Jackson. Sorry. Um, just how just grueling that was. And I mean, you know, I think these confirmation hearings, ideally, let's talk about, you know, constitutional law. Let's talk about the things that actually matter when you get to the bench. CRT enters the equation again. Why? I mean, yes, it's a law school topic, but, you know, was there some kind of ruling you dug up with her that um, informs this little topic or no, we're going to go dig into the books that maybe somebody at a school that she sends her kids to or something like that. I, I mean, come on now. Yeah, it, does, uh, it, it was interesting to find out that, and I don't know whether the senators don't know or don't understand, but the federal judges are under so many guidelines. They don't have the kind of flexibility that people think they have. True. And so, you know, she kind of threw that back and said, if you don't like these sentencing ranges, it Congress sets them. She's going by what Congress does. So if anything, there should be some education on both sides there. But, but you know, she's there. Um, I, I hope that we get good people that don't get scared away from going through that process. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Oklahoma's uh, Supreme Court and uh, Court of uh, Criminal or Circuit Court, Civil Court, um, has a pretty good process. So we shouldn't be messing with that. So ours isn't based on Senate confirmation and governor appointment. It actually comes from a different process that, that that's a lot better. But there yeah. is a confirmation that is getting going to happen in Oklahoma that uh, 
Governor Kevin Stitt nominated Dustin, I'm not sure how to say his last name, Hillary is, I believe they say it. He's a, uh, he was appointed to be on the Oklahoma State Board of Regents that oversees 25 colleges and universities, but he is a college dropout. He dropped out of Cameron University to join his family's telecom business. Very successful business, and Kevin Stitt puts a lot of priority on business and success in business, but in this, I editorially, we came out against it because I don't think it's out of line or inappropriate to say if you're going to oversee higher education, you should have a degree. Uh, to me, it shows that that person has invested the same time, resources, financial resources too, to getting a degree, which is not easy. But if we're going to talk about the value of a degree, the higher regions who oversee them ought to have made that same investment. And the Senate will have to confirm him. And I, I we have said we need to really take a pause on that and think what statement does that make? Yeah. Because if business is the priority, there are a lot of successful business people in Oklahoma with a college degree. So I think he's probably, his, his perspective is probably really important, but not for the region. There are other workforce development areas that he probably could be appointed to. So um, a, a communications person for the governor's staff took to social media, calling us elitist, um, that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I just, I think this is an area that we, you know, we ask school board members to have a high school diploma. Our mm -hmm. Supreme Court justices in Oklahoma have to have a law degree. So, I mean, what do you think, Bob? I mean, I thought you were, you were pretty well agreed with, with the rest of the board, if I recall. So any other thoughts on that? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's, I, let's, I, let's um, go with this real fast. And I want to tackle that elitist claim. Um, elite or something or whatever that word connotates would seem to indicate that you're talking about ivory tower people who look down on the common masses and stuff like that. I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but it's probably at least a quarter of Oklahoma's population has a college degree. 26%, which is below the national. Nationally, it's 36%, but in Oklahoma, it's 26% of a college degree. All right, so in adults. Oklahoma, it's about a quarter, and nationally, it's over a third. I don't think that type of a plurality or whatever we want to call that, you know, chunk of a population makes things, makes an elite group of people that are just looking down on everybody. This is not a hard ask. And there is a pretty giant pool of people that you can draw from who have actually obtained a college degree. So, you know, let's, let's not pander to the people who, for whatever reason, are looking down on people that got college degrees. And you know, we need more college degrees because if we, yeah. businesses are looking for, if we're going to attract business to Oklahoma, they're looking for how many degreed people are in the workforce because that's who they're, they're going to pull from. Do we have enough workforce? And if we don't, they're going to move on to the, the city or the state that has 30% or meets the national. All kinds of workers for sure. And not every profession needs a degree, but there are a lot of professions that do. You can't become a doctor or an accountant or an engineer or any number of other, a teacher, any number of things without a college degree. So it does matter. And it does matter in terms of having a perspective to build up that workforce. 
a higher education degree is a component of our workforce and, and its ability to tackle the needs that we have. You're not going to have a lot of engineers out there that are college dropouts. And we need engineers. We've been pumping STEM quite a bit lately. So, um, so yeah, I push back on that a little bit. It's not just because I've got a college degree, but it's just, it makes sense. So, you know, let's not pit the people who have a college degree against the people who do not have a college degree because that is pandering. Right. And, and like I say, I think that his perspective is important, but just, I think that the minimum standard for a region should be that you have a degree, you know, like I mean, with career tech, I would hope that we have people on the career tech boards that have gone through career tech that have yeah. gone through those technical certifications. It's the same. We want to have that same experience. Um, yeah. So you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to have some kind of like a English professor, you know, overseeing decisions that are made over schools that include the trades. They're not going to have any clue of what that's all about unless they somehow worked in those fields at one time. So, I mean, let's be real about that. I mean, there are, avenues for all of us to contribute we don't have to start sniping at each other so good point good point and another good point it was nice to see representative kevin wallace and senator robert robert roger thompson the uh those are the top two budget writers in the legislature that they came out last week and said that they plan to go slow very deliberate on these more than half a billion dollars in tax cuts and reductions that have been passed this session that um, I was sort of cheering that finally there are some true fiscal conservatives there that we've editorially been saying all along that if you cut income, you're going to have to have some way of either making that up or have a plan to cut services because we've been down this road before. And right now in January, there were about there were tax reductions in the corporate and individual income taxes that would reduce about 300, 340 million. And that we haven't realized it yet because we need a full year to see whether how that shakes out. But the lawmakers, those lawmakers recognize that they were sort of um, talking about they might be up for some temporary reductions like a sunset. But I was I was glad to see that. I think the rest of us were, too. Um, I know you read that story as well. And what do you think about their approach? Was there anything else in their comments that kind of grabbed your attention? Well, just the fact that they're one, they're in leadership positions, two, they're conservatives. So there's no kind of a, a, a partisan angle on this thing. So what you're looking at is two people who understand that the large overflow of money that we've seen come in over the last 18 months to two years is largely due to two things. One, higher energy prices. So we've been reaping the wars off of revenues from uh, production taxes. And two, we've got a lot of federal money coming in. You know, you have one drop in energy prices and the floor comes out from those gross, rev gross production taxes. And that also a declining energy industry has a huge impact on state revenues in general because it touches so many businesses. And when you're making tax cuts here, I mean, I'm talking sunset this or whatever, something like that, those tax cuts don't go away. It makes so, it hard to not re-up it when you yeah, use it. I'll say that. Federal funds, they go away quickly. Look at our revenue failures and how big they were and how quickly our rainy day funds just vanished. 
just disappeared real quick. It doesn't take much. They think $2 billion is a lot of money. And it is a lot of money if you're talking about one-time things. But if we go into a revenue failure situation, that $2 billion can disappear in a hurry. Right. And then what are you going to do? Right. So I, right. I, I'm, I was, I was a little more optimistic and hopeful reading that they were going to be cautious about that because I, I you know, the, and that's the conservative approach is like, Hey, let's, let's pull the brakes on this. Let's see how things pan out. Not, not over, overextend. So um, probably a few things they can do with this extra money, the extra revenues that were coming in to reinvest in the state to, you know, set a path that's more stable and more prosperous, I guess, more business ready, that kind of well, thing. You know, there are issues like uh, Curtis Kilman, a reporter, did a, a bridge exactly analysis right. and found that there are some places in Oklahoma that school buses can't go over a bridge because hmm. it's not done. So that's that kind of infrastructure and all that kind of one-time money that would be helpful. That yes. instead of, you know, so those are the kind of things that I could see using that for rather than, you know, things that are reoccurring. So, but it was, it was a glimmer of hope there. And, and then of course our lawmakers turn around and make national news. And yeah. I, I don't want to belabor this because the abortion issue, no one's minds gets changed. It's, it's a political litmus test. It's all the things that, uh, you know, forward or against it. One thing that we've we've always sort of agreed on, and the editorial board, the Tulsa World, for the record, has not taken a position on abortion itself. But what we do take issue is our politicians who knowingly pass unconstitutional bills, that you do so knowing it's illegal, and that means it's going to be challenging court, and it's going to take time, money, resources from our attorney general's office that we don't, we can ill afford to have. And in our attorney general right now, we have, I haven't seen any sort of, you know, traction on issues like all the identity theft that happened during the pandemic on, from the unemployment side of things. Nationally, they're seeing a lot of pandemic fraud from that money. Our attorney general hadn't seen anything from him on that, but we're fighting the feds on everything from mass mandates. And now we're going to have to defend an unconstitutional abortion law which is also redundant because we already have a law on the books that says if Roe v. Wade's overturned, Oklahoma will revert back to pre-Roe v. Wade days. So we, if Roe v. Wade gets overturned at the Supreme Court, which some observers think is really possible, then Oklahoma will turn back time 50 years on that issue. So this is a redundant bill. It's just for election year. And um, it just, it, it frustrates me because the reasons for abortion are not being addressed. And this is sort of my passion in the way that there's no health education in schools providing sex education. We could use a lot of uh, more funding for contraception access. Right now they're depending on federal funds that are apparently being pulled back. They're being reduced. So that's my frustration as we're not getting to actual issues that have led to abortion. Um, and it just seems like more divides and and some lawmakers it's not surprising i mean some lawmakers have been elected solely on this issue but you know i i don't know i mean i just what i, I don't know what to think after that so so it just i don't want them to pass unconstitutional laws on this issue or any issue so Bob? Yeah. 
Yeah, we're talking now uh, 50 years of litigation and politicking and things like that coming to a head with the expectation that a 6-3 majority at the U.S. Supreme Court is going to overturn, overturn Roe. Um, and this is probably the first time uh, in the first time in a long time that it's been a very real possibility. So I think you're, it's, it's kind of strange to me because it looks like in some ways you got those true believers that are like, all right, our moment has come. But then you got like some other people are like, oh, wow, all these things that we've been campaigning on to excite the voters, we actually have to do this now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how that goes down. But we know that if the history of these court cases tells us that at the state appeals court level, all the way to the state Supreme Court and at the federal district level and the court of appeals, that the courts have fairly consistently knocked these bills down. So this is all about a race to Washington. Mm-hmm. Get it done there and and all that. So and it, it's, it's going to it'll it'll cost Oklahoma. I mean, don't the idea yeah. of oh, it's you know, we have I think they put half a million dollars more into the AG's budget just to quote fight the federal government. And it's like we got a lot of other issues, but yeah, to deal with. But um another federal issue was today's story, which is intriguing. I our editorial board hasn't spoken on it, but it's it's <laughs> It's something. Uh, Mark Wayne Mullen, he uh, has accused in his, uh, it's a fascinating story. Randy Grable wrote it for those of you who haven't read it yet. But in his campaign for, he's running for U.S. Senator, he claims that Joe Biden tried to kill him when he was in Afghanistan. And there's a lot there to unpack. And Randy did a a pretty good fact check on it, which was, um, and and his campaign kind of walked back some of that wording that, and this is in no way to defend Joe Biden's removal from Afghanistan. I mean, those were hard images to see. And it was, you know, there were probably there better ways to have withdrawn. But this refers to uh, Congressman Mullen taking a suitcase full of cash to try to get into Afghanistan during that chaos to save people he felt were left behind. And he went there with some mercenaries or something. And he never, and he never actually got into Afghanistan, that he was stopped at the border by the U.S. Defense Department. He claimed in the uh, mailer that it was the U.S. State Department, but it wasn't, it was the defense. So, I mean, there's, I just have this image of, of Rambo and, and all of these things, and I'm not sure what to think about it, but at a minimum, it's election season, and there's all kinds of fun claims being made. But he he did say in our in Randy's follow up that Joe Biden didn't try to kill him, but it, it was he sort of softened it a little bit that it was oh put him God. in danger. But he also put himself in danger by going with a bag of cash to the Middle East during war. But I don't know what I'll let you take over. Yeah, well, on that note, I would say that there have been. Uh, many, many cases of, uh, well, not, I'm not going to say many, many cases, but there have been cases of, of Westerners going into places like Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and all those border countries with Afghanistan and find themselves getting kidnapped. So, you know, you could just imagine some sort of ISIS adjacent or Al-Qaeda adjacent 
operation seeing this uh, big former college wrestler white guy from the United States with a suitcase full of cash would be a really nice target. So you're kind of making yourself a target there. Um, my two things with this, and let me preface this by saying that I'm going to go with the assumption that his uh, intentions in this were noble. That he right. I, I think that he, he about, meant it in a good, good way. Yes. He it, saw that there were Americans still stuck there and some of our Afghan partners still stuck there in danger from the Taliban. So I, I understand that. And I totally understand the disappointment that we had in our withdrawal from Afghanistan. But if you're going to say to the two big claims here in that email or in his and his statement, subsequent statement is the Biden administration almost got him killed and somehow gave up his exact location to the Washington Post, and two, that his efforts have secured the release of 300 people from Afghanistan. If you're going to say those two things, because those are big, 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 big claims, uh, let's see some receipts. I want to see some proof of that, and because um, you can say a whole lot of things, but I would kind of like to see uh, Mr. Mullen, maybe show us what he can as much as he can to back that up because otherwise, I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, it's, I make that it's gonna, that we're already starting to see ads like this pop up. And for those, and, and I say with this particular issue, even after that happened, there were people that were cheering the congressman on thinking that was the right thing to do. And others that thought this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I think that that's sort of where people come down on that. And I, I agree. I think his intentions were noble, but maybe the um, actions could have been thought through a little bit further because the last thing America needed at that point was having a U.S. congressman kidnapped and held for ransom. So, um, and I, I, don't believe our our president would want that on his plate either. So, yeah. uh, but but jumping ahead to this weekend, uh, just quick preview. You write about Pax Americana. The question is Pax Americana dead. So, as a preview for everyone who needs a reminder, what is Pax Americana? So the Pax Americana is a term they use, sort of uh, mimicking the Pax Romana of the Roman Empire days. And basically what it is, is this kind of a world order created with American power, American military power, economic power, diplomatic power after World War II. We were the big guy on the block and nobody was close to us. And that has extended uh, right through now. So the question is, particularly after Afghanistan, is it dead? So that's what I dive into in Sunday's column and uh, yeah, we'll find out. Mm -hmm. And for mine this weekend, I spoke to the featured speaker for Tulsa's Interfaith Holocaust Commemoration event on April 28th. She is Tolly Nates. She is the founder and executive director of the Johannesburg Holocaust and Genocide Center. But her background is that her father was among the 1,200 Jews who were saved by Oscar Schindler. Wow. And she has spent a, yeah, she was fascinating. She spent a lifetime studying the Holocaust and making those links to today, you know, the effects of genocide happening today, the lessons that can be learned. And she's a, obviously a big proponent of Holocaust education, which Oklahoma this year, another good thing the lawmakers did, which was pass a requirement that students study that in school. So um, I interviewed her and that 
is also the interview is available on video and on podcast. If you just wanted to download it, it's about 30 minutes and she is fascinating. So um, that's what I wrote about. But the uh, the other big week news was school board elections. And we spoke about it last week. And I will say this is the first time in a while that so many races got, I mean, brutal. I mean, it was, these are nonpartisan races that usually focus on school. And this turned in, some of these races turned into highly partisan uh, races that touched on every cultural talking point, uh, which to me just looks like it's a preview to the fall, really. And, um, but for those who ran, I'm glad they ran because you know what, if, if people are out there thinking it, then we can at least debate it, talk about it. Let's see where people stand on it, those issues. And so thanks to all those who ran, but also congratulations to the winners. So the real work happens now. And I think people sometimes forget that during elections that they like the race and the, the fight to win. But the harder work is once you win, you got meetings, you got to read a lot, you got to interact with the constituents, you got to oversee and govern. You and, do job. Yeah, you got to do the job. And Tulsa, and not Tulsa, but Tulsa area schools, it's a hard job with schools. So uh, congrats to the winners. We look forward to seeing how you do on the job and uh, keep, don't be strangers to us. You know, we're look, I, I'm always looking for op-eds and people to write for us. And we're constantly looking for letters to the editor to hear what's on your mind. So can if you're riled up about something, about you can reach out. What? Can I make a small point about these elections? Yes, absolutely. So among the people that we talked to, there were two of them who they did three things. They did not talk to our reporters. They did not respond to our editorial board. And they uh, stayed away from uh, candidate forums. Mm -hmm. And another thing they also had in common, they both lost. Yeah, this, this trend, and I am concerned about the trend of blowing off the public and the media in favor of, I'll just take it to social media, this social media campaigns, um, it didn't work. It no. didn't work big for, for two of the, the area cons, cons, cont, candidates. And, you know, for me, and it's all based on partisanship and, and their ideas of what we are and media are. But for our perspective, even if we disagree, and, and we have backed and endorsed people that we don't, agree with everything with. I mean, I want to point that out. But by coming in and talking to us, we can at least find out more about the, the platform. Where are you coming from? What led you down that path um, to thinking a certain way? And just to kind of get to know people. Because like I say, we've endorsed people that, you know, personally, I'm not completely in line with, but I think they're going to do a good job in that job. Because we're looking at, is, the, is this person good for this job? So if you just avoid everyone that disagrees with you or you think will disagree with you, we're never going to get anywhere and it's not going to be good governance. So, you know, the we need- The public wants to know too. Yeah, the show public, I mean, it's show, I mean, when they're blowing off candidate forums and you're blowing off, uh, you know, public meetings, I mean, you know, I, there were some PTAs that were turned down. Those, these are your constituents. And so you really need to, to reach out. And so I don't know, maybe- They'll 
that whoever's advising them on those campaigns might relook at that, but there has to be some outreach and communications. Um, you have to put yourself out there on the voters' terms. Mm-hmm. It cannot always be on your terms. So when you look at that, the candidates who did talk to us, more often than not, they won. Now, there were a couple who lost, but uh, most of them were winners, even if, even with the people who you know, were part of this you know, Tulsa County GOP slate of candidates, the ones who talked to us and talked to their constituents, for the most part, they won. And I appreciate the conversations because even... Yes. Um, I mean, you say even the ones that didn't get the editorial endorsement, uh, I certainly understand more of where they're coming from. And I certainly can appreciate that they had a true concern about things that go on in schools. Um, and that's our editorial side. But, you know, there are a lot of reporters out there, not just ours, but TV reporters and radio reporters that they're also kind of covering these issues and that the voters need to know. So um, I hope that going into the fall, instead of people you know, taking the, taking the, I'm just going to go to social media and it's on my terms, as you say, hopefully they'll go back to, I need to be out there more. And it, and running is hard. I mean, being a candidate, you do put yourself out there and, you know, I appreciate those who do because we need choices. And uh, we, you know, when you just have people that are in office because no one runs against them, we're, it just, it seems a little anticlimactic and it seems a little bit more like a, you know, or crowning someone rather than voting someone in. So I do appreciate all those that, that do run. So um, anyway, um, any other parting words for the week, Bob? Well, man, enjoy another amazing weekend outside. That's always my uh, my advice because it's going to be another good one. Yeah, well, if you don't get blown, uh, the wind's blowing crazy. So That's my little dog is outside right now. And I'm hoping that it's not like Dorothy and Toto and flew away. So you know, it's Oklahoma and we do have meteorologists. So uh, get on Tulsa World and, and check out our meteorologist and, and our new weather, our new, new weather coverage. So we'll have a good weekend, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next week.